One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey guys, welcome to the 24th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got the second half of our interview with director Matt Barber. We're going to continue talking with him about how he preps for directing some hit television shows like The 100, iZombie. And, you know, just all the knowledge he has from having been an editor on The O.C. and Chuck and a bunch of other TV shows. So it's really fascinating if you have any interest in directing TV or Knowing what the role of a director is on a TV show, it's really cool to hear Matt talk about it. Take it away, Matt Barber, with the second half of this episode. So just to go back to like that question I got asked, would you have an answer? Like if you have a really bad actor, what's your strategy to work with? Poke him. him. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? Uh, you know, I, I get asked this question oftentimes as well, like working with influencers. And I think really it's a funny thing to ask in the first place because it it's this thing where because now people are working with people who aren't trained actors more frequently it gives them the opportunity to ask that question. But right. like really it's a strange like directors have worked with non-actors since the beginning of cinema. You know, models are always in movies and TV. It's not a bit or so like athletes you know, politicians, there's plenty of people on screen all the time who are in scripted shows. And it's this weird opportunity to just be like, are you a good director? And like, the answer is really like, motherfucker, I'm going to direct them. It's going to, you know, we're going to figure it out on the day. You can't say that, obviously. The real answer that I would give in that sort of situation is that with all of those different people, they all have a reason that they're captivating and charismatic. And so you try and figure out what that essence is. Right. And lean into that as hard as you can. Right. So with YouTubers, they tend to be really animated or sleek or stylish or something. There's some that there's that X factor that they have that makes them captivating to, in this case, like hundreds of thousands or millions of people. But, But what's interesting with with that is and I've never worked with an influencer, as you call it. But I can imagine, like they're already a performer in some sense, exactly. You know? Exactly. And so they're they're coming with their they're they're not afraid of you know of of emoting or trying things out and playing around. You know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It kind of depends because, like with most actors or most performers, they're the most aware of what their brand is and the way that their image is being portrayed, and so. You do run into instances where you know a very cool person maybe needs to play a nerd character or mm-hmm. something like that. And that's where things like, go. Oh, really... I went, my fans aren't going to like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They like my fans only like it when I don't have my shirt on. I mean, you know yeah. what I, what I tend to do though is 
one, try to make the actor feel as comfortable as possible, you know, because we're, you know, saying like, Hey, we're going to play around and just trying to get them into that space that we're going to play. That's with like non, like non-actors just like, just to relax and to say, you can have a fun, you can be as goofy as possible and you're safe, mm-hmm. you know, but then it's trying to like, if there's, if there's a concern about their, how they are appearing to say like, Hey, you know, I will protect you. Let's mm-hmm. do one do one for me, you know, where we play around something right. different and then we'll do one for you that like protects your brand, you know, and then we'll have a conversation about what feels better. You know? And let me ask you, because I, I feel like I used to say that more regularly and now I do it a little less because I'm concerned with final cut basically. And whether or not, like, I always want to include people and loop them into everything, but especially when they're like, you know, they have busy schedules and things like that, or there are other people that we have to answer to, like, like networks and producers who are maybe going to be like, no, we want it the one way and not the other. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, like, I don't have to deal with it. I mean, in network television, uh, I, yeah. I, I have no, I have no right. I mean, I guess I could send them a cut, but then ultimately it's the, the writer showrunner who gets to decide, you know, and if they like one performance over the other, they'll, they'll go with that. Mm-hmm. And I, I will often write to the showrunner saying, after I deliver my cut and say, Hey, this is, I thought this was an interesting performance. I cut it this way, but just so you know, you have all these other options. And part of that is knowing how showrunners work. Like when they watch an episode for the first time, they always have that moment of dread, like, oh my God, this didn't hit the mark. This didn't hit the movie in my head. And I try to counteract that a little bit going like, you know, just own it saying, I know you're going to watch this and you're going to freak out. And after you're done freaking out, just know that I gave you lots of options. You can go you know, myriad of different ways. That is like great advice. I can't express how, lo- I actually how much I, can't I love believe that idea. I've never heard That's that like before, the... especially like even in the feature or yeah. even the web you know, yeah. one off. I'm flashing video. back through all the times I wish I'd done that. You know what I mean? That's well, great. and, and they'll, and they'll, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to backfire at some point, I, but to this point it has not yet. And usually they will laugh and go like, yeah, you're right. You know, sure. I have to drink a bottle of whiskey, you know, after every episode, you know, but just letting them know that they have options. And I think this is even more, this is very important in television more so than feature films, because, you know, if, if you're a director in a feature film, you have a little more control and you're usually part of the process the whole time usually but in tv you lose control as a director you lose control and you have to cover yourself like i like to say like you have unless you're doing a pilot you're coming into a show that's already has an established tone established look and what they're looking for is for someone to take that and do it again but give it a little bit of spark of life Mm -hmm. you know a different take on this and i like to say like you have maybe like 80%, 75%, 80% of what you're doing is what's already been done. 25%, you're doing something special. You're using like a unique, you know, camera lens or like camera movements or whatever, whatever your little tricks are. But you don't want to deviate too far because we've all seen these shows, you know, you you watch an episode in the third season Mm -hmm. and you're like, what the fuck? What is yeah. this? I remember seeing that in like one uh, a Six Feet Under episode. This is the first time I ever noticed it. I was watching Six Feet Under and everything was like this almost like fisheye, like super wide lens shoved mm-hmm. up in their face and didn't come out of any kind of motivation, right. at least to, to me at the time. That director never came back, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah. You know? I'm definitely on House of Cards. There was an episode, the first episode directed by Robin Wright. Who I, I love her as an actress, but the very first episode that she directed just felt like, it was fine. The story all worked and the drama was there, but it just felt I, I didn't get as excited about everything. 
than as I usually do. And then it would be a lot of like two shots and singles, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, it's fine. It's fine. But it's not like I, I tune into house of cards because it's like right. at the, it's that plus something, mm-hmm. you know, I um, feel that way about the fly episode of breaking bad. In the mm, last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one really, it, that's divisive. I think some people love it, love it, love it, the love it. And, yeah. It's the bottle episode. I, 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 yeah, I just hate when, it feels self-conscious, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, Which it did, yeah. Ultimately, you want you want to just sort of sit down and and and, and soak it in. But yeah, I remember that episode. And I'm just like, it just felt like, oh, look, we're gonna do a cool a cool shot now. Yeah. And as soon as as soon as you make me aware of that cool shot, it takes me out. Yeah. So I just listened to like a really interesting episode of the ASC podcast, you know, the cinematography podcast, and they interviewed Christopher Manley, who mm-hmm. was the DP on Mad Men. And went on to become a director on Mad Men. And that was the first thing he ever directed was, or TV-wise, was Mad Men. And he talked about this thing that I thought was really interesting, which was that, you know, like, like you were saying, on TV, you're always out of time. And you're always, have, you have to get these mm-hmm. pieces. You have to get that white shot. And you have to get the close-up here. And you have to get this insert. And he said that as a DP, he used to be really annoyed when the director who's just there for that episode would be like, okay, after this, I want to get just this really slow push in on like this guy's feet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he'd, he'd know Christopher Manley. He's like, I know we're not going to use this shot. I know we don't need this shot. And he said that as a DP, he would be really resistant, you know, and if they really fought hard for it, he'd be like, okay, but we're going to lose time from this other thing. And then once he started directing, he realized like, wait, that's like, what makes this episode that director's episode? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everything that we've gotten that we need and that is going to make the episode work is like yeah. what the showrunners have created, this yeah. format. And it's like what the director can bring to it is just these little kind of slightly off shots or non-traditional things or trying these things we haven't seen before. And I thought it was like a really interesting realization to go from a, a different creative crew member to director. Yeah. And, feeling that but i mean sometimes and sometimes as a director you try things you know and you think it's gonna work when it doesn't you know on the first episode of the hundred i did it was our drug episode you know everyone found these like nuts on the ground and and they thought it was just a food source they started eating it everyone's tripping balls by the end of the episode and one of the characters bellamy sees the chancellor who's up, up in space at the time sees him on the ground right and the showrunners wanted to play like as if he was really there you know, they want that, that visual connection. Uh, and and during the, all the meetings, the tone meetings, everything, like, oh, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. But at the same time, they want some style to this, like, this drug stuff. So it was a really kind of a, a, a weird space. And, and this was the first moment that we realized that, you know, the drugs are really taking effect is when we see this guy on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sort of kept in my mind, like, okay, I created this look for this drug look. So I did every kind of, anytime there was a drug vision, it's like I had this look. But and what was that look? Uh, well, it, it was a combo of things. Like you know, during the daytime stuff, it was a squishy lens or a lens baby kind of thing mm-hmm. with a shutter angle. Mm-hmm. You know, and then at night it was that eternal sunshine, you know, spotlight look kind of thing. Oh, I just yeah, lifted I that, that right stuff, off. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what's that look? It's like single source spotlight right above the camera, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I stuck with that. The only time it didn't work was that first meeting. And it wasn't until like when the when I sat with the with the the writers, and and I was actually editing my episode at the time because I was, I was also an editor on there, and they were they were really like they were disappointed. I was really I felt really bummed because I'm like, oh wait, we wanted this style for this whole thing, but then once once we got in the editing room and they said like, no, we wanted them to feel like he was really here. I'm like, it clicked. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I should have like 
I should have taken that. away all that stuff, all the playful stuff, and just had them be there. You know, maybe like a little something or other. You know, or build up into the look. You know, but I got so sort of attached to the style. And this is only like my third episode of television. So now, like my, I, I'm trying to remind myself. And I wrote this on the script on the the, the last episode I just did. Was like. Make sure everything is motivated out of, you know, an emotional space, mm-hmm. not just a cool shot. Right. You know, because it's easy to do cool shots, but it has to be motivated emotionally. And, you, I mean, you, you don't always get it right, but that's, that was when I realized, oh, okay, I missed, I missed the mark on that. Everything else in the episode was, you know, everyone was really because happy. Because they went in. They wanted, oh, fuck, you know, Jaha is on the ground. Mm-hmm. How did he get here? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what the character was thinking. Right. But because I put a little style on it, we're like we knew, oh, he's just having a, a vision. Right. So it took away that that drama, you know. And you know, and that's one of those things. Like, yep, I, I'm I fucked that up, and you know, you you you, you move on. You know, like you can't get everything right. right. But if we and if we had time, I said like, hey, can we, let's let's go back and reshoot that moment. You know, right. like it was. It's like as soon as they said that, I'm like, oh, I know exactly how I should yeah. shoot this. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, oh, that's like yeah. my life story. Yeah. Just watching every cut and being like, uh. A lot of times it's just like, why is this guy zippered down? You know, yeah. <laughs> sure. but a lot of other times it's like, ah, oh, I could have done this so much better with this. But there's, this there's, way. there's this director, Sam Hill, who, um, I've worked with a lot and, you know, he was on, he was on the show, um, forever last, last year. And he, they, they ended up parting ways with him, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, he was like one of the most generous men I know. Like he, he didn't take it personally whatsoever. He's like, he told me, he's like, look, all you can do is do your best. Do your best version of what you think this show is and hand it over. And then you have to detach yourself from it. Because if you spend too much time going like, oh, I, sh- I should have done this shot, I should have done that shot. Like, it's, Unless there's something you can do to fix it, it's done. Right. You, know, it's very, you have to be very zen about it. You know? It's like, if you can help fix it, great. You know, if you can't, I did you know, my best job and you, know, you go on to the next show. I think something that would be interesting is if you could just like walk us through real quick, like you get an episode to direct. Like what? What are the steps? Just you know, do they? Yeah. You get a script, at, like after you get assigned the job. Like, do you ever get a script first, and they're like, "How would you shoot this?" And then they decide. No, how? no, no, no. You get hired based upon you know a relationship, or you know you do these types of shows. Usually, they have no idea what the episode is, unless like sometimes like if a, if a director drops out of a slot and then they have to fill it really quickly, you might have a script at that point. But you're not pitching on, you're not pitching a nope. take or anything like that. No. Nope. Interesting. Nope, nope, nope. They just, you just get hired and then you're like, oh, you're doing episode 108, 208, whatever it is. Like, okay, great. And if, so that's months before you actually. Months, yeah. Or it could be like like on the 100. I was shooting iZombie in September and then while I was up there, I got called to do the 100, which was going to be sort of in October. So it was like only a month away. But then, yeah, so then then usually you get like sometimes you'll get an outline it depends upon the show but sometimes you get an outline or a story arena you know which is pretty much just a like a like a little summary of what the story is just for that episode just for the episode sometimes sometimes you you don't get anything until you get a script mm-hmm. and depending upon the show sometimes sometimes you'll get you're supposed to technically by dj standards i think you're supposed to get the script like two days before you start prepping but sometimes you don't like i didn't get a script you know on this last episode until like three days into prep you know, and so we were just sort of prepping off an outline. And, and do you get the outline of the entire season too? No, just no. your episode. Yeah. So, so you don't know, like writers could be setting something up for that they're going to pay off in an episode or two later. Or, yeah, but I know. mean, usually they're pretty good. Like you know, if you want to say, like, where are you going with this? You know, sometimes like they'll pitch you the whole season. But my prep is once I get hired on the show, 
I make sure to watch as many episodes as I can. You know, in some shows, you know, it's more serialized. It's more important to see every every episode. Less serialized episode, you know, shows more procedural. You probably can, you know, watch five or six episodes and go like, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. but you watch as much as you can to sort of get the sense of what the show is, and then. Once you get the script, you know, I start doing, I just start doing breakdowns. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll try to read it like at least once a day, you know, I'll do like a first pass. And on my first read, I'm just like jotting down just ideas, anything that comes to my head. It, it could be the most, you know, um, banal idea. It could be like on the nose, whatever. I don't, I don't limit myself. Like visuals and performance ideas yeah. and transitions. And or thematic things, you know. Honestly, 90% of my prep work, no one ever notices. No one ever, I don't bring it up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'll do, I'll just do like first pass. I'll just do whatever like comes to mind. And then I will try to, I'll do like a character breakdown, you know, and try to figure out what the character's spine is, like what, what's their motivation, like what's their global motivation and then what's their motivation in every, in every scene. And I, I'm a big, I'm a student of Judith Weston, who I know Orrin has um, yeah. taken some classes from. I think um, I endorsed her one time. I think you did, yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah. she is fantastic. But I try to like, with, in every, every scene, try to have a few different like things for the actors to do, you know, between business, things for them like to pick up and but also like verbs, like things to like, you know, approach the scene, like you're going to knife him or, you know push, you know, try to use verb language as opposed to give actors like line readings or, you know, so I try to do a lot of that prep work, which never, honestly, barely ever comes out. But I try to get to the point where I've done... Or you have an angle on every character and every scene right, in right. case you need it. I do. Yeah. You're armed with that sort of uh, thought process. You've thought it all through thoroughly so you can answer any questions should it come up. Exactly. I like to try to have a, a plan for everything, even if someone has a better plan, mm-hmm. just something to fall back on. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, everybody. So I'll do a basic blocking plan. You know, once I see the sets and everything, I'll come up with a blocking scheme. How long does it take you to write all your notes? Like a day? No, I'm I I do it over like ten days. Every day I'm reading the script and I'm doing another layer of of oh, okay. of notes. So character breakdowns and blocking and business, and then I'll I'll rework stuff. And, and you're just writing this on the script with a pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have like a one sheet that I pair up with every single scene. And oh, the one cool. sheet will have like, you know, characters and like themes, that kind of stuff. I can't, I'm trying blanking right now, but I'll like scene number, I'm blocking just shot all, list. All of props. Right. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So just yeah. just like things to remind myself. It'll mm-hmm. also have transitions. Like I say, transition in, transition out. Mm-hmm. Because I've edited for so long, I see so many directors struggle with transitions. They don't prep transitions. And so I as an editor have to find a, a way in and out of the scene. So I always try to have some way in the scene and some way out of the scene. And so do you mean like either it's a camera move or it's an insert or it's a... Exactly. Like, so like you start on... Establishing shot. You start on, you know, this logo and then you pull back to reveal something. You know, a lot of times uh, one director told me like a lot of times going from one scene to the next, a lot of times you want to go, if you end on the wide shot, you want to start on the close in the next scene. If you end right. on the close, you want to go to the wide in the next scene. Right. Change know. sizes. Yeah, change yeah. sizes, but or, or have lots of movement like just to sure. ease people into the next scene. Or a match cut. Or, or like, a match cut, yeah. Or like the best is right when it's somehow like thematically tied yes. and fits all of those other things. Right? Some, some, But sometimes I feel like people get a little, a little too, too clever, sure. you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, I get that. It's a fishbowl because right. you're stuck in the fishbowl, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. That's or a like good example. Egg. <laughs> you're making eggs because you're pregnant. Yeah, but you right. don't know it yet. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny, but in, and a lot of times it comes down to the show, like, you know, how melodramatic it is, how broad it is. You know, you can have fun with broader shows, you know, sure. that kind of stuff. But when it's a more subtle drama, you know, or some psychologically intense thing, you like, you have to be careful about, about that kind of stuff. But 
so yeah, so on the sheet, I'll have my transition stuff. And so I'm always thinking about all that stuff. And this past episode, I had this idea. I wanted to sort of create this spiral effect. Mm-hmm. And in every act, I had some sort of circle shot, you know, where we'd circle like one direction, you know. Now, we'll see if it works out because I haven't seen the cut yet. So it may not it may not work, but I wanted to sort of create this idea and just sort of some visual storytelling where like, you know, they're going further and further down the rabbit hole. So you're spiraling further and further and further down. And we, so you mean like on round dolly track or like on a steady cam? Or a steady cam, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even like people sitting in circles. But sometimes it's hard to do because when, you, when you're doing a 360 shot, that means the DP has to light the whole set. Right. Or if you're having people sitting in circles, that's more eye lines that you have to cover. You know, right. it's far easier to put people on one line or two lines and cover it. But as soon as you put them on circles and it's like, you know, you add a few extra shots to your to your day, you know. So it's a fun challenge. And so that's something that came out while you were just writing your notes. Yeah. Good. Well, because there's there's things that like, I mean, I think we all do this. Like we'll see something, you know, another director will do and go like, that's cool. I want to do that someday. And so I've always wanted to do an episode where it's like a lot of circles. I just couldn't find the right, you know, like... On iZombie, I try to do that a lot, and it just wasn't working. So we just, you know, I cut the idea. But this episode seemed to work really well, you know, mm-hmm. on the hundred. And you know, I'm excited. Like I guess it may not work. The showrunner may hate it. We may pull it all apart. But and do you tell the showrunner about this, or is this something that you keep to yourself because you don't yeah. want it to get cut out before you? No, I, I, you know, I, I, I share it with them. I mean, if it's something that I'm going to cover my ass on, you know, I'll shoot the circle shot, then I'll do all these other pieces so they can break it apart. I, I, I probably won't say anything but if it's something that's going to lock me in i'm going to share it with them just so they know like you know just to get their you know, their reaction if they're like "Ooh, cool right i'm like all right and is that something that you would share at the tone meeting i know you mentioned that earlier it, it depends sometimes like so there's a lot of meetings along the way so we have so there's eight days of prep so a lot of times you'll have a um a concept meeting where it's just the ad the assistant director usually runs these meetings. They'll like flip through the episode and they'll do a quick, a quick reading with each scene mm-hmm. and all the different department people will like say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking this is what I need, you know, and early this on is the first meeting, yeah. the first meeting. Yeah. But and, and sorry. And also just to clarify, you're kind of the only new kid at this meeting, correct. right? Like everyone else is there for the entire season. Yeah. Right. So oftentimes they're helping you get onboarded into how things work on this show. Right? But that, yeah, and, and and ultimately, like, this is just my approach. I, other directors probably do differently. Like, I speak more and more as the meetings go further and further in. Because mm-hmm. in, in the very beginning, I'm just, it's really all it is is a concept. It's just like, here's the episode. And it, it's hard to do this when you don't have a script. Like, you're doing off an outline. But when you have the episodes, like, here's a script and, you know, all the different departments, like, you know, props and costumes and special effects they'll they'll just take note like oh there's something here that i have to do and then you'll have different department meetings you'll have like they'll start to put well they ask you things like in that first meeting like hey matt how do you want to do the jumping off the roof yeah and then maybe one of these things like i don't know yet you know, let's wait till we see the location, mm-hmm. you know, wait. And do till they we... have locations and cast in place at this point? No. I mean, they'll have like their standard locations, like any sets, you know, or like the forest, like we shoot in the, in the hundred, like they have a forest that they always shoot in. But oftentimes you'll have to like, oh, we're now at a bank this time. So now we have to find a bank, you know, there's a, there's a new waiter. So we have to cast the new waiter, you know, and it's like the new love interest. We have to cast this new person. So they may have some ideas, but they ultimately are like, that's what this meeting is for and these mm-hmm. meetings are for. So who's making those final decisions, right? It's you and the showrunner and the writer or like, yeah. I guess I'm curious about the power dynamic when in this early stage. 
it's all kind of like blending together because it's there's no decisions being made in these early stages. It's just like this is what we want, and usually it's like in the first few meetings, a lot of times it's just the showrunner and the writer saying, hey, this is what we want to achieve from this. So that's why I just sort of sit back and I'm sort of absorbing what they are saying they want. Mm -hmm. And then I'm filtering that into my into my emotional database saying, okay, this is the feeling that they want. How can I achieve that? Mm -hmm. You know, with all these pieces that we have. So a lot of times, like, you know, like I said, I I just sort of sit back and listen. And if I have an idea, I may say, hey, think about this, guys, you know. But for the most part, for a lot of the meetings, unless there's something like radically different I want to do, I'll just listen and absorb and take notes. Interesting. Yeah. Do you ever pitch ideas and they're like, nah? Oh, yeah. But- oh, yeah. You know, or or I'll think I'll have something down like on my episode of Chuck. I, I, I thought I had everything all set. And then by the last day, they're like, we want to find a, a unique transition. Nothing, something we've never done before. I'm like... Great. <laughs> and it was this it was this episode where there's a lot of flashbacks going on to a, a former life. And I'm like, well, what what's the feeling that's going on right now? Because this revelation happened that, you know, she had hidden the baby, you know, and then we're go- flashing back to when she found the baby, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, it's feeling like her, her world is dropping out from underneath her. So I'm like, well, what if we do this transition where instead of going like, you, sometimes you can do this, like these, you know, swiping transitions where you like, like the camera's on one person, mm-hmm. you, you swipe over, you, the camera pans over really quickly. And then you do the, the same thing on the, on the B side with the, mm-hmm. the next character. Right. And you can match cut that in, in post. But I'm like, what if we reverse that and go down and up, you know, cause mm-hmm. we're dropping mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, we like that, you know? And the camera guys, they had, they're like, they just didn't get it. For like, yeah. you know, like, what? Okay, we got to do that thing. All right. And it took them a while to sort of figure it out. And then by the, by the end, you know, they're like, oh, we get it. We get it. We get it. And everyone loved it, mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes, like, that was an, a, an idea that came out in the tone meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, by that point, like, usually by the tone meeting at the very end, a lot of, like, all the locations are locked in, all the character, like, most of the casting's been done. Any special equipment has been requested, usually. But then when someone throws in, like, oh, we want this style thing, like, oh, fuck. All right. You just got to stop and think about it and go, sure. okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, so on the A side, you drop the camera, and on the B side, you, p- you pick it up. And does so, the camera no, no, settle so, on I, I, feet? So, no, I'm, I'm sorry. So you start on the A side, you drop down, and then on the B side, you're dropping down into the flashback. Right. And at the end of the flashback, uh, you're okay. whipping up. So uh, I see. So, you're, yeah. so you start on someone's face on the A side, and that whips down. To mm-hmm. the floor. To the floor. Start, like, on and, the ceiling and then you start at the ceiling for B side and whip and land yeah. onto their face. To get into the flashback. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, are we landing on feet? Yeah, yeah no, I see sense. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. then, so, and so that's the end, cool, man. Then the that's end of the, really end, cool. So the end of the scene, you're you're whipping up. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna steal that. I'd love to do that. Sometime. Do it. That sounds great. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what this business is all about: stealing shit. shit, shit you know? yeah. So you're doing casting at the same time in these eight days, right? And yeah. you're at the casting session. Some of them. A lot of it depends upon how, the the time schedule. Like on the I Zombie episode, we like it was the most new characters added to the script. So we had two. I had two six hour days of casting. And we still couldn't fit everybody in. Mm-hmm. So they did some tapings. So we had to choose like half of the people we, cho- we chose on tapings, the other half we chose in person. And I don't have the final say. I mean, I could, I could fight for, you know, for my position. I think technically I can... You're one vote. Uh, you know, right. But ultimately, like, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's like whatever the showrunner wants, whatever they think is the best fit in their head. And the only time I would, I would speak up is if I, if I thought like, I can't direct this person. I don't think mm-hmm. I can direct this person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, like, you just go with it. But if you think it's going to be a bad, like, a bad choice, a lot of times you want to say, hey, I think this is a bad choice. 
in case it falls apart, sure. you can go like, I, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. You, you know? Over email, you say. Hey, cover cover your ass, yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so it's written down. Okay, so locations, are you scouting a bunch of different locations and you choose one or they just take you to the one that you have to shoot Usually the, the location scout will have a few places already in mind mm -hmm. and they'll send out their people to take pictures and then they'll show you all these pictures and you'll narrow, narrow down from there. So, I mean, you can't go to 10 bars, but you, you, you'll go to three. Mm -hmm. So you pick your three favorite bars and then, and then sometimes you pick your favorite bar and then they show that to the showrunner and, and he or she will go, no, that doesn't work. So, all right, we'll go find some more bars, you know, keep right. until we find the right place. And oftentimes these people, in the case of like a bar, they've got a bunch of bars already in their back catalog. They're yeah. like, okay, well, what type do you want? And then they go from there. And, and they'll know which ones are sort of film friendly. Right, yeah. right. And yeah. so then you go to the location and do you do any previs? Do you take your own photos? Do you plan out blocking before the actual shoot? You know, I, sometimes, you know, that, that, this is something that I'm still sort of refining on my own. Like a lot of times I can't, I, I try to come up with like a basic blocking plan, but, you know, and I used to pre-visualize shots, but I love for everybody on the team to bring like their best ideas. Mm -hmm. So I will tend to have like a, sh uh, like a shot, like design for like the beginning of the scene and maybe the end of the scene, but the rest of it, I'm like, I want, mm -hmm. you know, the DP and the camera guys like find something really cool and really interesting. And so, that's a way to help the actor contribute to the blocking as well. So they feel motivated and it's coming from a character perspective as well. Yeah. But a lot, but a lot of times they want like a lot of actors, you know, especially in TV are like they're busy. They've been doing this a lot. They want someone to come in with a plan. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, okay, you're going to move here, 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 you know, and 90% of the time they're like, okay, great. But occasionally they'll go like, but what if I do this? I'm like, mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. And I'm always trying to get everyone on my team so that when I need to push back, you know, you know, they know it's coming from a good place. Mm -hmm. So unless it's like a terrible idea from the actor, like the blocking or, or, or if it like ruins like, you know, a sight line or something. So you, you don't get a good composition. I'll go like, okay, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. How much do you talk to the DP before the shoot? Over lunch. Like yeah. one lunch. One lunch. I mean, occasionally some shows, some shows will have two DPs. Mm -hmm. So you can be prepping with one DP, which is nice. And that DP can be at, there's a tech, a tech scout, which happens usually like the, a day or like two days before shooting. So the tech scout will be like the grip and the gaffers and like all, a bunch of department heads will come in to see what your idea is, what the location is. And they can find out where, like how equipment's going to get loaded in, how much of the place that they have to decorate, all that kind of stuff. And do you have a shot list at this point? Sometimes it really depends. I mean, a lot of it depends upon when I get the script. Mm -hmm. If I get the script a couple days early, I can usually have most of my prep work done. But when I get it three days into, <laughs> into, into prepping, no. I may have like a couple big sequences, like, you know, sure. the, the AD will make a schedule. They're making a schedule this whole time. And this is another part of it is usually the first script, the AD will go like, this is unshootable. We don't have enough time for this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they go back to the writers and say, you have to cut some stuff. You have to move stuff around and do some horse trading here and there. And the AD may come to me and say, look, I've budgeted 13 hours for this day. Technically, you're only supposed to shoot 12, but like I budgeted 13 hours or no, this one's like 14, but we need to do it in 13. That's all they'll let us do. Like, 
can you give me a shot list so we can see if we can make this or can you make this in 13? Let's figure out a way to do something as a one-er or something. I guess you can't really do that in network TV too often. You can, but, but you get burned. Yeah, you know, like yeah. they call it like, you know, let's get a one-er with some coverage. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We're, we're, so, yeah. so okay. So, now you're on set, you have right. a shot list. Do you send the shot list to the DP or you just, on the day, you say like, let's start with the wide shot? I, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send my shot list to the DP and the AD usually the night before. You know, and no storyboards or anything. No, unless it's a unless it's a visual effects sequence. And so, how do you prep? What if it's like a chase scene or something like a or an action sequence that's not visual effects, but it's like stunts and jumps and things? Do you previs that? No, no, no. I mean, I've only done storyboards a couple times, and usually it's when I can't direct it, you know, because the uh, second unit director is going to do it because we don't have enough time. So I will storyboard it, say these are the shots I want. Mm. But other than that, like. I usually have a good idea of like, you know, a few key shots I want, like the like those little style sh shots, and the rest of it's just, you know, making sure we get the pieces so we can put it together, you know, or I'll have a concept of going like, okay, we're gonna do a walk and talk from here, and then this will turn into coverage, and then we'll do something cool here, you know, but I, I found I've been finding that I really like to just sort of get all the pieces in motion, give a basic blocking pattern. So a lot of times you'll come into the first thing you do in the scene is you'll do you'll do a read through. So mm -hmm. all the actors will come in and just read the script. And then I will talk to them and say, OK, I, I think you should be here. You should be here. You move here on this line. You know, I give them all my my ideas and then they rehearse the scene and we see how it plays out. And then I'll look to the DP and go like, what do you think? You know, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. do some basic camera moves and. He'll go like, eh, yeah, or how about this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes he'll just go like, yeah, that works really great. And then oftentimes there's stuff that to be worked out, but I don't, like, whenever you have, like, they call it the first team, whenever you have, like, the actors there, you have to wait for them to, like, figure out their shit. Mm -hmm. But once they move, move off and they bring in the second team, the stand-ins, then, like, all the lighting can happen and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So a lot of times your ship is being held up until you figure out all the blocking stuff. So a lot of times I'll get the general blocking down, and I know that there's like, there might be some tweaks I want to do, but I want to see the camera moves mm -hmm. and then think about it and make some adjustments. And so usually when the second team is up and I see a camera rehearsal, I'm like, okay, yeah, that doesn't work. Right. Let's do this. And then I'll have to go up to the actors and say, hey, by the way, we changed your blocking. Right. Are you okay with that? Yeah. You know? Right. Is there like a general rule? Because a lot of times, like, let's say you have like a, two people speaking to each other in a kitchen, you know, and the husband walks in the wife's like washing some dishes and they talk to each other and so you have right like a wide and kind of overs or whatever and then you have the husband walk over to the sink you know and basically every time you you're moving the blocking your coverage needs mm -hmm. to be relit and reshot like do you have like a general rule of how many times you should change blocking within a scene or yeah you i mean usually like it's like a, an hour per line or hour per setup i mean it depends upon every show and crew some crews are slower some crews are faster but usually like i'll work with the ad and we'll budget like so in a 12-hour day we'll say this scene we're going to give four hours for this scene we're going to give three hours for you know it's like when when you get down to two hours you know that you really only can shoot on one line because whenever you like if you keep everyone on like one line it, it really is just like you, you shoot one direction and then you turn you turn around you light you shoot the other direction you're done right. but when you when you change axes that's in the whole other setup so you add like another hour hour and a half to to the thing and so sometimes i'll make sure to move like the mo most important scenes earlier in the day so that we can spend more time covering all those angles and getting some interesting movement and coverage but by the end of the day when you have like an hour left 
and you're like, okay, well, we can actually only shoot this in one direction. Right. You have to figure out a way to motivate everyone to be on one line. Well, I, I think that that's where your prep work comes through. And I think that's really so great because I think we've all been in that situation where you're compromising on a scene due to time where it's like, okay, well, shoot, we really, I can just do this as a master, a two shot and two singles. Like that's, that's kind of the, you know, Oren talks about uh, what's the worst version of a scene, right? Like that's your basic, like, I know I can make this work sort of recipe, but when you've got all of that homework done where you've got your great editorial transitions are already planned out and the little things that can make a scene special, if you can get those and then standard coverage, then you're in not you're in okay shape already. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, I have really this great. problem where I'll be on set, we'll block something out, and I, I just get an idea while we're on set, like, oh, actually, if she walks over here, that'll be really cool, but we have to add this one shot, and it's in this direction where our whole, you know, sure. all our the, tents are set the up. Move, yeah, the truck and has I'll to be, move I'll say to the DP, like, you think this would be hard? And they'll be like, no. And then... You know, we lose an hour because they add that shot that like I didn't really need that much or the blocking. And yeah. at the end, I'm like, ah, I didn't, it wasn't worth an hour. It would have been yeah. worth like, yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I find like a lot of DPs, they'll, they'll like wrap their heads around the complexity of a shot and, and then they get excited about it. And, mm -hmm. and they start doing it. <laughs> But then once you get into like the half an hour of setting it up, you're like, oh my God, I could have like, exactly. Like I didn't need this, but you, but you can't pull the plug at that point. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even like the 15 minute time estimate. That's the, that's the most dangerous one for me because that's like, well, 15 minutes, I can afford that. And normally they'll probably say but it's five really or ten, half an hour. but it's really half an hour, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or 45 minutes. So we talked a lot about directing on set and working with actors and all that stuff. How many days do you shoot like an episode of the 100? Eight days. Eight days. Yeah. In uh, like a week and a half, like across two weeks. Yeah. 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 Usually, I mean, there's, you know, like you start on a Monday and then, you know, then you get the weekend off and then you sh shoot the last three days. I mean, it, it, it can start on any day. It depends upon the rotation, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually over two weeks. And then, so the day you finish shooting, do you go into the edit room like the next day? No, no, no. You usually, uh, usually it's like a four to four to six days afterwards. It, a lot of times it depends upon the schedule and when you're actually going to air. If you have a lot of buffer zone, a lot of times editorial, they'll take a little extra time to say, hey, can we have an extra day or two? Because we're behind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the DGA rule says you, you know, you have four days to do post. Now, sometimes if you're up against an air date, you know, you're crunched and everyone needs to like sacrifice. So they'll sometimes they'll go to the, ed the director and say, Hey, are you cool doing this in two days? You know? Mm -hmm. And most directors, like I I've never had a director say no, you know, because they want to get asked back. They're not going to make yeah. a big stink out of it, but it, I mean, technically they should be getting four. And so when you, your four days start after the editors already edited it, there's temp music or sometimes some, yeah. yeah, music from the show's library, there's sound effects, there's when you see the first cut, it feels kind of like a TV show. Yeah. A, l a little bit, yeah. I mean, and, and depending upon the speed of the editor, you know, or the the temperament, you know, sometimes they won't, like, sometimes they'll be less polished, you know, especially if there's a slower editor, there won't be as much music or sound effects in there, you know. Right. And I mean, and it, even me, like, I'm a very fast editor, but there's some days when, like, some episodes were so far behind, mm -hmm. and I'm doing so much on, like, because I'm balancing, editors will balance multiple episodes, you know, they'll be, you know, finishing up one episode while they're starting another Sometimes I'll just go to the, the director and say, hey, listen, you know, typically I like to have all the music and sound effects in there. Now you can give me an extra six hours. And I can do a lot of stuff right. or I can get you the episode sooner and you can start giving me notes. Right. And that's something you work out with your director editor. 
And, and when they're noting it, are they sessioning with you in the room or are they just over email? 75% of the time it's over email or Skype something, yeah. you know, because a lot of like a lot of the directors that, you know, work all the time, they're, they're moving on to another episode already. Mm-hmm. Now, because I'm sort of at the beginning of my career and usually have like a, a month or two between episodes, I can go into the editing room and sit with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you make different amounts of money on different shows? How does that, how does the salary work? Is there just a DGA rate? That there's, a D, there's a DGA rate, you know, and a lot of like some of the smaller cable networks like ABC Family and CW used to be this way. You get like a half rate, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. And then there's also just standard network rates, you know, which is twice as much. What's the minimum that you would get to direct an episode? I think, well, if it's like the cable shows, I think it's like $22,000. And then the minimum for like a network show is like 42000 And then do you get residuals when yeah. it airs? Yeah, you get residuals, yeah. Is it based on how much you got paid? No, I don't. Honestly, I don't know how it's, it's calculated. I mean, because it's all like if it reruns on air, you get a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I think it's like half of what you got paid or something like that. But reruns on airs are, bec- are becoming less and less. Yeah, they're just Netflix deals now, which, yeah. which DGA doesn't really have much provisions for, right? Like that's a lot. Really... It's a lot smaller. Yeah, they, lot I mean, smaller. they do. They have provisions for all new media and all sure. that stuff, but it's a lot less. Yeah. yeah. No one knew Netflix was going to be a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not like I'm not as good as the whole like you know John August Craig Mazin sure, like sure. of figuring out like. Like they can, they can talk about like residuals for like yeah. hours. I'm just like, yeah, it's something like this. And I just get a check every once in a while. I actually yeah. just did because my wife's in like a few commercials right now. I've been, I dove head in first. Like how every time this commercial is like on NBC, how much money do we make? And if it's on CNN, how much money do we make? It's I, really kind of fascinating. There is a system. It's just so complicated. Yeah. I think it's maybe for directors a tiny bit simpler. I think the DGA rate card, I think you, they just update every year and you can kind of download and figure out all kind of all of those different standards i think i'm pretty sure yeah i don't know i I mean as you just get a check right as as an editor we don't we never got residuals so it's like it's something i never or they say our residuals went into our pension and health so it's something i never pay attention to but now i'm just like now i should go figure it out well i think you're like i know i at least i'm like yeah i'm happy to work you know yeah like great yeah to me it's like the goal of a directing career is to be able to to turn down jobs because you have options, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, I feel like I I'll, will have made it when I'm not just happy to work. I'm just like yeah, working yeah. on things that I'm like so super excited about. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. Well, cool. Well, we're, I think we got like a really good snapshot. I know I personally yeah. did of just like how a TV episode, this is really interesting. Network TV is this giant locomotion that you can like kind of jump into from the side and. You have to know exactly what's going on yeah, to I mean, make it. My original fear, you know, doing network television as a director was like that I wouldn't be able to be as creative as I wanted to be, you know, like doing my own like stuff that I've written, you know. But I found that there's real joy in finding the create like the little creative nuggets within this system, this machine that's already going, you know. And it's always great when, you know, you do something interesting and the showrunner goes, That was cool. I like that, you know. I love surprising people like that. You know, but at the same time, delivering an episode that everyone says, like, yeah, this feels like it fits within the pantheon of, of our series. You know, I, I love that. And I found that I really, I really thrive. I love it. I think there's nothing better for creativity than, like, parameters and limits. Yo, exactly. I agree. Like, that's why I like shooting on location a thousand times better than on set. Because on set, they're like, we can build anything you want, any shape, any wall, anywhere. And then you build a box. And then, you know, <laughs> right. on location, there's columns and staircases right. and windows and all these things that you have to use in a cool way. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking to us. Tremendous. So yeah, good, thanks for having man. me on. Yeah, I really want to have you on with our other friend, Eric Kissack, who's also edited a ton of stuff we've heard of. And just, I want to do a whole episode on editing comedy because Matt and I do so much comedy stuff. And I just find all oh, like so fascinating. Like if you're not going to write that book, we're going to extract at least. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Pieces. Let's, let's start. But so, yeah. So on our show, we do unpaid endorsements and. Unpaid endorsements. So. This is something, you know, on my list of very obvious recommendations, but just that we've never talked about before is everyone knows about IMDb. And I think most people in Hollywood know about IMDb Pro, but for people that aren't familiar with it, there's a couple advantages you get from getting a pro account. Costs, I think it's like $100 a year or something. It's not crazy. First of all, you get to put like a picture of yourself up on IMDb if that's important to you. And if you're not famous enough that they've already done it for you. But the coolest thing is you can find out about projects that don't exist yet. You can see like upcoming projects, like what features are in development and stuff. And the biggest, biggest thing that everyone in Hollywood uses it for is you can find out who represents everyone you know. So if you want to contact Ryan Gosling's agent, you know, you have their phone number and their name on that website. Or if you want to represent someone and they're, they're not repped, you can find that out on IMDb Pro. So it's just a also, really good You can also tool. get a lot of financial stuff that you don't, you know, like when you're putting together a budget for and like, this is mm-hmm. what this movie made, you right, know, on right. this budget, you know, some, I mean, it's always questionable whether they're actually like honest about the reporting. They're usually yeah. not. But I love know. my favorite website for that is Box Office Mojo. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. do a good job of, of guessing how much a movie costs <laughs> and how much it made. I actually, when my movie came out, I was like, so bummed it wasn't on there and i emailed them i was like can you put my movie i mean we only played a couple times on a few screens but they're like yeah just have rent track the the company that you know tracks all the the box office send us the info and i had to contact rent track and get them to track our movie because they don't always track smaller movies but anyway imdb pro check it out imdb pro sounds good well matt do you have an unpaid endorsement my unpaid endorsement is whiskey yes every time well every time i get a script you know this is my this is my method i always go to a bar a quiet dark bar get a really nice glass of whiskey that i've always wanted like a brand i've always wanted to try and then i read my first script and for me the alcohol sort of helps disassociate my like you know transports me into a new place relaxes me so i can have some like creative ideas you know it's like madman style yeah what what bar do you go to do you have a regular Uh, bar yeah i do tex tex in echo park Yeah. Yeah, yeah what if you don't know anything about whiskey like myself did I just get Jim Beam or something? There you go. No, no. Uh, at, least, <laughs> at least, you know, at least do something like, you know, Lafroig or McAllen or, you know, one of the, one oh, of, one of the Glens. Okay, cool. I'll yeah. try it next time. For me, I, I'm trying to have as many rituals as possible. So it's like to go to a bar, bring my script, have a nice whiskey. It just feels like kind of like old school Hollywood. I just, I, I love it. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, that's great. So my unpaid endorsement is the new season of Nathan For You is out. You, mm-hmm. Do you guys watch Nathan for you? No. I've seen a few episodes. It's really, they're really good. It's the funniest show on TV. And I think that this season it's really found, it always had its voice, but like this season is just every, every single thing is really magnificent about it. So it's, it's this comedian, Nathan Fielder, and he, the concept is that he's doing business advice for small businesses. So, you know, the pilot episode, he goes to a, a frozen yogurt shop that needs to drum up buzz and has he's he makes a custom yogurt flavor that everyone will talk about and it's it's poo flavored yogurt so the joke is always oh it's terrible advice basically but he plays it super straight like as straight as 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 deadpan as possible it's done like in the most like straight document like a 
Nightline or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like very straight. So this season, I think he's just really cracked the nut on what makes it interesting, what, what, what really makes the show tick. And I read an uh, interview with him on AV Club about how, you know, he was reading about like the recession and how that all happened. And kind of what it really boiled down to to him was that there were a handful of people in the room that were all kind of just allowing things to happen. Like everyone was in a situation where we're all going to allow these things to happen because it would be rude to say no. And ultimately it kind of causes this you know, global collapse of the, the economy, right? So taking that idea of just people getting pitched terrible ideas like, oh, you're a small business owner. Let me feed your customers shit flavored yogurt. Hmm. They just kind of shrug and say, okay. And then there we are. Right. So this is right. how season, trusting people, how are. trusting people are or how they don't want to say no. They don't, don't want to say no. Mm, so yeah, yeah. so th- that is the endorsement I have today. And then also Night Owls, their trailer just came out. Oh, cool. So you can check that out. They're going to be released on December 4th. That's Charles Hood and Seth Goldsmith. That's their movie that we, there were early guests basically. So nice. it's, it, it's finally cool. available for people to check out. And how do we find out about you, Barber? You have a documentary that's on iTunes? It's on Vimeo. It's on Vimeo. Vimeo for free. It's called Give Me Sex Jesus. It's about evangelicals and sex and the purity movement, you know, in the late 90s. What I was a part of and I was deconstructing my my upbringing. I also have a website, mattbarber.com, where you can find all, see all my latest TV shows and whatnot. So I'll have an episode of The 100 on the air, I don't know. In a couple months. I don't know when it's on air yet. But Which episode is it? Episode 310. 310. Yeah. Cool. Are you on Twitter? Do you tweet? I am. Am I at Barber, <laughs> at Barber Matthew or at Barber Matt? I, I, I can't. I can never remember these things. <laughs> Search Matt Barber on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Cool. At, at, at Barber Matt. Is it? At Barber Matt. Yep. Because he cut people's hair. And, uh, and film. Oh, yeah. And film. Oh, that's good. You can find me on Twitter at Smitey Pileg. And me at Mr. Matt Enlow. You can follow the show at Just Shoot It Pod. Visit us at JustShootItPodcast.com. Drop us a line. Ask us a question. And if you have a voicemail, 2626-SHOOT1. Operators are standing by. And this episode is edited by Eric Krapow. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, yeah. thanks Matt. Really thanks good. Thanks for having me on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.